Hello and welcome to Bible 101 Podcast. It's been a little bit since I've posted on here. I've been very busy, had a lot of things going on. Uh, but I've noticed we are still getting regular hits on our Anchor platform and some on our Podbean platform, mostly on Anchor. And on Anchor, the Bible 101 series still gets regular hits, and I'm very thankful for that. I want to just um, teach something that was on my heart today. And let me just say this. Uh, anytime you're involved in soul winning, you're going to have moments of extreme frustration. You're going to have times where you really try to reach out. Um, you teach Bible studies. You attempt to win people to God. You witness to a lot of people. And then uh, you don't seem to get a whole lot of results from it. And people that uh, do respond are people that, uh, you know, they suck up a lot of your time. And then when it's all said and done, they walk away. Well, I'm just going to teach a lesson here today that kind of deals with this concept. But also, there's a twofold purpose for this lesson. It, it's going to be encouraging those that are trying to reach souls. Because if you've been listening to this podcast for any uh, length of time, you know what we believe already. And uh, perhaps some of you are on here to get uh, try to learn more about the Bible, having already responded to truth. But uh, so. The first purpose for this lesson would be to help you to understand uh, something about the concept of soul winning, which I'll get into here in just a moment. And number two, uh, there may be someone here that's been listening but refused to respond. And I want you to ask yourself the question, do you have an unreasonable spirit? And I'm going to teach today about an unreasonable spirit. We're going to take our text from the book of Proverbs, chapter number 26, verses 4 through 5. Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. And the title for this lesson is An Unreasonable Spirit, but uh, I'm going to give a subtitle to this, How to Know When to Let Go. That's going to be the subtitle, How to Know When to Let Go. And boy, this is a very difficult concept, and I'm going to attempt to dive into this. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4-5, through 5, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Then verse 5 says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So at first glance, these two verses of Scripture appear to contradict one another. However, the Bible never contradicts itself. We're going to talk about that. Let's pray at this moment. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the listeners on this podcast, those that are still listening on a regular basis. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would speak to hearts and souls right now. I don't know who's going to hear this. Let somebody hear this, God, that this lesson will really minister to them and help them at a very crucial time in their life. God, if there's anybody on here that's listening that has not yet responded to you and uh, they are holding back and resisting, then God, I pray that they would ask themselves the question whether or not they have an unreasonable spirit. God, those on here that are attempting to win souls and teach Bible studies and reach out to the lost, Help them to know, God, if it's time to let go of somebody they've been trying to reach for. Give us wisdom and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said that when you're dealing with souls, you need to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. What does he mean by that? Well, a serpent knows when to strike. A serpent knows to stay undercover. Many of them hide in weeds and in tall grass. I remember um, a time back where uh, we had uh, we were living in a house, and there was a cat that got in our backyard and killed a snake. Well, I wasn't able to spot the snake, but the snake 
uh, was hiding in the grass. And um, let me just say this, that uh, the snakes, they know how to hide and they know the right moment to strike. And uh, they know how to stay undercover. So when you're dealing with souls, you got to be wise as a serpent. Know when to strike. You know, uh, so often we think we got to take Acts 2.38 and shove it down their throats. Not everybody's ready for Acts 2.38 right off the bat. There's some people that you've got to use some wisdom when you're teaching them. And they might need some biblical foundation. You might say, well, you need to obey Acts 2.38. Well, what in the world is that? Well, it's repentance. Well, what's repentance? It's baptism in Jesus' name. What's that? It's in filling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. What in the world does that mean? You see, you can't just shove it down somebody's throat. Uh, and so you've got to be wise as a serpent. But then at the same time, the Bible says we need to be harmless as doves. And um, that means that uh, we don't need to uh, harm somebody that God is intending to save. We need to be very careful in our approach and understand that we're not just dealing with uh, with hard-headed people, we're dealing with souls that are going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And let me just talk to a person on here. When you're dealing with, with souls, you're going to be criticized a lot. If you've got a burden for reaching out to the lost, you're going to have people that criticize you constantly because there's always going to be Johnny-come-latelys and there's always going to be, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the do-nothing people that sit on the pew and they judge uh, the people that are actually trying to reach out to the lost, and they say, you, you just waste your time with a, a bunch of people that don't want this truth, and on and on, when they haven't reached out to a soul in years. They had not brought anybody to church or even taught a Bible study in years, yet they're going to insult you for trying to reach out to the lost. Well, let me just say this. If you do uh, evangelism the way Jesus says to do it, every now and then when you throw out the net, you're going to bring in something that's not hungry. You're going to bring in a gar. Or you're going to bring in something that's not edible. You're going to have to turn around and throw it back. When you fish with a net, that's exactly how Jesus told us to fish. Uh, if you go to the book of Mark, chapter number 16, verse number 15, Jesus told his disciples, preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew 28, 19. Uh, he, he told them to go into all nations or make disciples of all nations baptize them. You can't discriminate when you're going out and reaching out to the lost. You can't say, well, I think this one wants it, but I don't think that one wants it. You've got to reach to everybody and give everybody the opportunity to be saved. I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to everybody that's listening under the sound of my voice. You can't discriminate when you're reaching out to lost people. And I'm just going to tell you though, you're going to have uh, a lot of people just tell you flat out no, but then you're going to have some that seem like they're interested. And you see, the devil is going to attempt to use your goodness against you. He wants to frustrate you with your good intentions in reaching out to the lost. And what he's going to do is, every now and then, you're going to reach out. And you might reach for a hundred people. And every one of them says no. But one person will respond and say, yes, well, I want a Bible study. And you sit down and teach them a Bible study. You teach them a second. You teach them a third. You teach them a fourth. Come to find out they're being unreasonable. They don't want this. They're wasting your time. You're going to deal with that. When you're reaching for souls and you throw out a net, you're going to have some you've got to throw back. And so I want to really talk about this concept of how do you know when to let go of a soul? I wish I could tell you I have the answer to that. 
I don't have the answer. But I will tell you this. I have been criticized before uh, that I am too patient in dealing with people. Well, I'd rather be criticized for being too patient than to be criticized for not being patient enough. Because when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I don't want the Lord to look to look at me and say, why did you let go of this one when I was still reaching for him? You know, I'd much rather for uh, to be criticized for reaching for somebody too long than not reaching for somebody long enough. So we read in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, these two scriptures seem to contradict one another. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And then it says this, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And so it may seem like these two verses of Scripture contradict one another. However, the Bible never contradicts itself. So when one verse of Scripture appears to contradict another verse of Scripture, the apparent contradiction is due to a lack of understanding. According to commentaries, and I, I did take time to look this verse up, these Scriptures join together to show us how to handle a fool. And there's a lot of different opinions in it. Uh, let me just read a couple of the commentaries I got. The phrase, according to his folly, appears twice as a play on words with two shades of meaning. On the one hand, it means avoid the temptation to stoop to his level. That is, don't use his methods lest you also be like him. On the other hand, it means avoid the temptation to ignore him altogether. That is, respond in some way or else he will become wise in his own eyes and his folly will get worse. And then here's another one. A person should not answer a fool by resorting to foolish methods. Yet, someone needs to expose his folly even if he won't listen. So look, I agree with these commentaries in part, but I believe they are missing the point of these two verses. The point that the writer of Proverbs is trying to make, it's quite simple. He's saying this, you can't reason with a fool. Whether you answer him according to his folly, or you uh, don't answer him according to his folly, you're not going to win either way. You're just going to frustrate yourself because you can't reason with a fool. Remember that the best commentary on Scripture is simply another scripture. So let's see what else scripture has to say about attempting to reason with fools. Proverbs 12 and 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Let me just ask the question, how can you reason with a fool when he believes he is right? Unless you can get him to see the errors of his ways, you are wasting your time. I'm not saying you shouldn't attempt to deal with him, but there comes a certain time where you're going to have to draw a line and say, look, I presented the truth to you. Now the rest is up to you. Proverbs 27 and 22 says this, Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Here's another translation. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible says this, Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with grain, you will not separate his foolishness from him. Here's a commentary. A mortar was a bowl made of fired clay or carved from stone. A pestle was a stone or fired clay rod with a rounded tip. The worker would put a small amount of grain, wheat in this case, into the mortar and pound and grind it until it became meal or flour. Foolishness taints every molecule of a fool. So, what he's saying is, you can attempt to pound truth into a fool, but he is unreasonable. Foolishness taints every molecule of his soul, every molecule of his soul, and the truth cannot be force-fed to him. Jesus warned against reasoning with fools or swine. Matthew 7 and 6 says this, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again 
and Renyu. And uh, they actually are saying, some of the scholars and people that study this verse is talking about, you know, when he says, don't give that which is holy to the dogs, he's making an illustration. You would take the holy meat set apart uh, for the tabernacle, set apart for, uh, you know, the holy place and, and, and uh, you know, being there at the table of shoe bread. You wouldn't take that and throw it to dogs, would you? Uh, that would be uh, a horrible, horrible thing to do. Uh, you wouldn't take sacrificial meat. And he's actually talking about sacrificial meat, excuse me. But you wouldn't take that and throw it to dogs, uh, would you? That, that would be such a waste. The dogs would not understand that it's holy. And they wouldn't respect it at all. They would just take it and they would devour it up. Jesus said, don't give what's holy to the dogs. He said, don't give your pearls. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Obviously, a pig is not going to understand that a pearl is valuable. And he said, you're putting yourself in danger too. He said, because they could turn again and tear you to pieces. So uh, it's believed he's talking here about the dog. So if you were to take that holy sacrificial meat and cast it to dogs, not only would they devour it up as if it wasn't holy at all, but then they would turn and tear you to pieces. So Jesus here is making uh, a, a very important statement we need to uh, pay very close attention to, that be careful. Uh, when you go out and you preach the gospel, you preach it to every creature. But there's going to be some people that do not understand what you're telling them. And they're not going to respect this holy truth. And they're not going to respect you as a holy saint of God. And if you continually try to reach for this person, even though all they're doing is wasting your time, all they're doing is eating up your valuable resources, then they could destroy your life along with them. Jude chapter 1 and verse 22 through 23 says this, And if some have compassion, making a difference, verse 23, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now, the King James Version makes it sound that, that Jude is only speaking about two groups of people. So, the first group, some must be showed compassion. He said making a difference. And I'll talk more about that here in just a minute. Number two, he said others should be saved with fear. You pull them out of the, the fire, you hate even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. However, a careful study of the Greek will show us that there are actually three groups of people mentioned here. Let me read a few other translations. And I believe the King James uh, is the most accurate of all translations. I'm only reading this to kind of give you a picture, if you will, of what is being stated here. Jude 1, 22-23 in the CSB says, Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So, let's look at uh, the New Living Translation. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. So notice the progression in this text. Number one, some are struggling with doubt. The way to handle such an individual is to show them mercy. All of us have had doubts at some time in our life. Number two, there is a second group that is ensnared by sin to such a degree that they are in flames of judgment. The only way to save them is to snatch them from the fire. Number three, the third group requires greater caution. They have given themselves over to sin. As a result, their garments are stained because their flesh is defiled. We must still reach for such an individual, but we must have great fear in doing so, lest we also become ensnared by their sin. I like 
how the Living Bible puts this, and I know it's not an accurate translation, but uh, I, I did think, you know, it's more of a paraphrase, but I, I do think, you know, he did a pretty good job of this verse. It says, try to help those who argue against you. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save some by snatching them as from the very flames of hell itself, and as for others. Help them to find the Lord by being kind to them. But watch this. This is what I like. But be careful that you yourselves aren't pulled along into their sins. Hate every trace of their sin while being merciful to them as sinners. And I've, I've preached this in church before. It's been many years since I preached it. But I made an illustration. I was standing on the platform and I had a brother come and stick his hand out to me. And um, I, was, uh, I was reaching out to him and I instructed this brother, every time I try to reach a little further for you, I want you to back up. So every time you keep reaching, and finally, uh, I fell off the platform because he kept backing up as I was trying to reach for him. And I believe this is what Jude is saying. You save others with fear. You pull them out of the fire, but you've got to watch out lest you fall into the fire yourself. There's going to be some people that are, it seems like their hand is still stretched out. And it seems like they're hungry. I want you to listen to me today because, uh, you know, I'm really feeling the Holy Ghost. And this has been on my heart today. It's just something that's fresh in my spirit uh, due to some various circumstances. But um, they're going to seem like they're still hungry. And they're still going to be reaching out to you. But really, in reality, they're backing up and backing up. And every time you try to reach, they back up a little bit further. And finally, you're going to wind up falling into the fire them, yourself. You better be careful and watch your step. Reach for sinners by all means. I believe in preaching the gospel to every creature. I believe in outreach. We do outreach. I believe in running buses. We run buses on Sunday morning and on Sunday night. I believe in teaching Bible studies. Only God knows how many uh, has been taught. I, you know, I don't know that, and that's not for my glory. I'm just saying that just so you know, I believe in reaching out to the lost. I believe in working with people for months and even years if necessary. But there are some times where you have to let go. So we are commanded to reach for sinners of all shades and backgrounds. However, we must use great caution with fools that are contaminating their own lives with grievous sins, lest we also be pulled into their immoral lifestyle. The hardest part of reaching for the lost is learning when to let go. There are some souls you cannot reason with. They're unreasonable spirits. Sometimes we may be getting in God's way. For instance, in the parables of that which was lost, two have similarities. The shepherd left the ninety-nine and went after the lost sheep. The woman lit a candle, swept the house, and searched diligently until she found the lost coin. But in the third parable, the father did not leave the house to search for the prodigal son. He allowed the famine to do the work. So there is a time to reach, but there is also a time to back up and let the famine or judgment do the work. If you attempt to run after the prodigal and give them comfort and financial support during the famine, you are getting in God's way and you might share in their judgment. Wow. I, I want to stop for just a minute and let you think about this. The, the Lord gave me this in a time of prayer. Every word I'm reading right now is words he gave me in a time of prayer where I spent a lot of time praying because I was really involved in outreach and I still am. I'm even more so now than I was then, but but I, I ran into some times where we tried to reach for some people. And, uh, you know, I, I had to pray something out of my spirit because I tried to reach for somebody. And they, they were trying to put a spirit on me. And I didn't recognize that. Some people will be sent to you by Satan to serve as a distraction. In the process of helping them, you can pick up on their spirit. So uh, let me just give you an illustration. There was one day where 
uh, we were going out and we were just uh, reaching out to the lost. And um, I walked up to a girl and uh, I, you know, I invited her to church. She reached out, shook my hand. And when she did, I don't know how to describe what happened, but something just unclean went all over me. And I felt, ugh, I felt terrible. And I walked away from Dan, and I, I, I had a guy that was with me there, and I kind of looked at him funny. And when I went back home, I started praying. And the Lord dealt with me. That, that girl had had a spirit on her, and she was trying to transfer that spirit. And I know that not everybody listening to this podcast is going to understand what I'm talking about right now. But maybe the Lord put this on my heart to help somebody that's listening to this, that when you reach out, there's going to be some people that try to put a spirit on you. There's going to be some people you're trying to reach out for, and they're really not interested. They're a messenger of hell. They're a servant of the devil, uh, and they will attempt to destroy your life when you try to reach for them. Let me give you an illustration. Um, in, in, you know, I didn't really plan to go into this one, but let's go into the book of Acts chapter number eight. Acts chapter number 8. And I want to read uh, a verse of scripture where even a man of God was fooled by a messenger from hell. Acts chapter 8. And uh, I want to begin reading with verse number 1. Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying that this man is the great power of God or this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon, watch this, then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. This is what I want you to notice. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God that perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and say, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So let me talk a little bit about this here. What did he ask? Look at his request. He said, I want power to lay hands on people and for them to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, many of us would have been fooled by that. But Peter, notice what he said. He said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. 
How did he perceive that? The Holy Ghost revealed it to him. But Philip had come through and preached. And Philip was an evangelist. Man, he was just reaching. He was he was pulling on souls, tugging on souls, reaching for everybody he could reach. So when Simon said, hey, I want to get baptized in Jesus' name, Philip said, okay, buddy, let's baptize you. He put him down in Jesus' name. Simon kept following, kept beholding and wondering about it. But Peter came along and discerned that Simon the sorcerer, uh, he may have been baptized in Jesus' name, but he was still a sorcerer. He was in the bond of bitterness, or excuse me, in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And he said, you're not sincere. You need to pray through and get right. You're not sincere at all. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, conjecture about what happened to Simon, and we really don't have anything in Scripture. But uh, what is believed about him is that he continued right on in his apostasy, even though he appears to be sincere after Peter rebuked him. So let me just say this. you're gonna When you go out like Philip the Evangelist and you just reach for everybody, you're going to have some people that seem to respond immediately to what you're saying. But they're an emissary of hell. And they are sent there to confuse you. They are sent there to try to work division in the body of Christ. And let me, let me just say this. You're going to have times where... You deal with people and you teach them Bible studies and you spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on them. Maybe in some cases even lots of money. Uh, buying them things, just trying to reach for them, taking them out to dinner, teaching them Bible studies, just time after time after time. And you may spend hours and you may spend a lot of dollars on them. And then you find out that they're nothing more than an emissary of the devil. And they're not interested in what you've got to offer, but they're trying to cause you to be sunk into sin uh, with them, it's going to be hard to take that. And you're going to attempt to beat yourself up over it. And you're going to wonder why you didn't discern them. But you know what? I don't read that Philip sat back and beat himself up for one minute over that situation. Philip was reaching for anybody and everybody that he could possibly reach for. You know, look at this, and I understand the purpose and plan and the mind of God, and God knew what he was doing, and uh, Jesus is God in flesh, he walked the earth, he knew who he was reaching for, he said, I chose you twelve, and one of you is a devil. Even Jesus chose a devil, folks. When he was going out and picking disciples, hey look, they didn't all stay with him. When he went out and healed the sick, and when he went out and preached you know, the gospel, and when he went out and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, reached for all the crowds, were all of them with good intent? Were there some that he had healed that were yelling, crucify him? Absolutely. But guess what? Jesus reached for the lost. He knew some of them weren't going to stay with him. He knew some of them were going to flee and walk away. He even knew Judas would betray him. But he reached for Judas. He did. He reached for him. But Judas had made his mind up. And when Jesus handed him the sop, he said, whatever you do, do quickly. Jesus knew that uh, Judas had already determined in his mind to betray him. And Jesus wasn't going to change his mind. And he said, just go ahead and do it, Judas. You've made your mind up. And there's going to be sometimes you're going to have to look somebody in the eye. And you're going to have to say, you know what? You've made up your mind. Nothing I can do is going to change you. I'm letting go. And there comes times you're going to have to let go. Um, there's a lot of stories I could tell you. 
But let's. Uh, I, I want to go to the book of First Kings, chapter number twenty-two and verse number two. And I'm not going to be too much longer here today. I just really felt this lesson on my heart. First uh, Kings, chapter twenty-two and verse number two says, "And it came to pass in the third year." that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. I want you to notice the words, came down. He came down to Ahab's level in order to make a treaty with him. This treaty involved his son marrying Athaliah, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Jehoshaphat probably hoped to influence Ahab to follow after the Lord. Instead, his son caught Ahab's spirit and Athaliah gained control of Judah's throne and almost succeeded in wiping out the seed royal. Let me just say this, you may escape falling into immorality, but your kids may be the ones to pay the price one day. We are commanded to witness, but Jesus said we are to be a city set on a hill. We won't win anybody by hiding our light in order to fit in with darkness, to appeal to them. See, folks, please listen to what I'm saying right now. And I say this with passion, but I'm seeing a modern day trait in our world today that we think we've got to dress like them, we think we've got to act like them, and we think we've got to go fellowship with them. Uh, and by fellowship, I'm not talking about, you know, taking them to dinner as an attempt to try to win them to God. That's fine. I'm not talking about, you know, not sitting down in their house for a Bible study. That's fine. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, just having phone conversations, trying to win them. Do whatever you can to try to win that soul. But you cannot win somebody to light by cloaking yourself in darkness to appeal to the darkness in their soul. Look, what is going to appeal to them? What is going to make them want to come towards you? The light. But there's going to be some people, just like Jesus, uh, uh, you know, when he came uh, to the earth, the Bible says they rejected him because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The light that's in your soul is going to convict them because of the darkness that's in their own soul. So what happens? Let's just say uh, you go into a house that's bug infested. Well, you're not going to notice it in the darkness. Wait till it's real dark at night and then flip on the lights and you're going to see the bugs run. There's some creatures that come out at night and uh a lot of times they're going to be completely and totally content to be dwelling in the situation that they're in until they get around somebody that's got light in their soul. I remember, let me just give you this illustration. Um, I, I remember uh, one time, and this has been some time ago, but we had reached for somebody and I reached for him on the outside of the church. And, you know, I didn't really sense anything. But when uh, that this uh, individual came to church, immediately I recognized, uh-oh, He's got some spirits working on him. Now, I didn't notice that on the outside of the church, but when he walked into the church, it revealed what was in his soul. I've had people come in and they tell me, oh, I just feel so dirty in your church. I feel so convicted. You know why? They stepped into the light and they saw, oh my goodness, my soul is, is, is wretched. It's in sin. What did Isaiah say in, in the book of Isaiah chapter number 6? When he came into the presence of God, he said, Woe is me. He saw his sinful condition. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How did he know that about himself? He had stepped into the presence of God. And there's going to be some people when you try to reach for them, they're going to get mad at you because they sense the light that's in your soul and it convicts the darkness in their soul. So, 
They might do one of two things. Either one, they're going to shut you out and not listen to what you have to say. Or number two, they're going to pretend to listen to what you have to say. And slowly but surely, they're going to attempt to draw you into the darkness that they themselves are involved with. Because there is a spirit of iniquity loose in our generation. Iniquity is not just sin. And iniquity is not just rebellion. It goes a step beyond. Iniquity is when your sin is confronted, you attempt to destroy the one confronting your sin. That's iniquity. It goes a step beyond just rebelling against God. It's attempting to destroy the voice of God that's telling you you're living in sin. Kind of like Saul and him trying to kill Samuel. Uh, when he sent those men to kill David and Samuel together. Because as long as David lived, it was a conviction to Saul. Because somebody was doing it right. Somebody was living it right. Man, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost while I'm talking about this here today. So hopefully this is ministering to somebody. Uh, King James Version, John 1 and 5, I referred this to, uh, I referred a little bit to this verse, uh, you know, at least to the passage, but not to this specific verse. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1 and 5 says this, the light, uh, in, in a different translation, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. We have no reason to be ashamed of our separation. Our holiness is the very thing that causes us to stand out as the light of the world. Hold your head up and don't be ashamed. But stop walking down to their level and just stay on the hill, but reach down. By all means, reach down to them. Now look, I'm not saying don't leave the confines of the church. And I'm not saying, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me and say, you know, I don't believe in knocking doors. I don't believe in in, uh, reaching out to anybody and everybody. But what I'm saying is here, there's a fine line between reaching out to the lost and uh, trying to get on their level in order to appeal to them to reach them. You're not going to reach them that way. It may seem like you do. There's a lot of these modern-day big churches where they brag about having a bunch of drug addicts sitting on their pew and alcoholics sitting on their pew. And they say, we're showing the love of Jesus because Jesus went into their home. Man, I just the more I teach this, I'm just feeling, I am just feeling tremors all over me. Uh, and they say that, uh, you know, it, well... Uh, in Jesus' day, he went into the home of tax collectors and sinners and he ate with them. But what happened when Jesus ate with them, folks? Remember when Jesus went into the home of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus changed. He didn't stay the same way that he was. When Jesus went into the house of Matthew the tax collector, Matthew changed. He didn't go back to tax collecting. He left his tax booth and he followed after Jesus. They didn't go back to the same lifestyle that they had, uh, that they were in before Jesus found them. And see, nowadays we're condemned as part of the church because we say, you know, we're judging people and, and uh, Jesus ate with sinners and all of that. Look, Jesus loved people as they were, but he brought them out from their lifestyle. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You're not saving somebody from being lost by bringing them out in the exact same condition. No. I mean, you know, I wouldn't give you a dime for a religion that's not going to change you. There's no power in religion, but there's power in relationship with God. 
And the closer you get to God, the more of that darkness you want to get out of your soul. Because every time you come into his presence, you're going to feel conviction. And if you can go to your church and you don't feel conviction, you are not going to a true church. It's a false church. It's a false gospel that they're preaching to you if it doesn't change you. Because the Bible says Jesus came to save them from their sin. Not in their sin, from their sin. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I want to read this verse of scripture. It says, uh, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, people still practicing it, nor idolaters, still practicing, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, past tense, some of you. But ye are, present tense, washed, but ye are sanctified, and you are justified, uh, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Why did he say this? Verse 12. Now, if you study the context, the Corinthians were saying, well, okay, since we've been saved by Jesus Christ, we can go out, we can fornicate, we can eat things sacrificed to idols, we can do whatever we want to do. And we're not condemned because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. But Paul, in this context, is telling them, you have got the wrong picture. He says, don't you know unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he said, "You, some of you used to be unrighteous. He said, but now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I've, I've gone over this ad nauseum, but I'm going to say it again for the purpose of this lesson, just in case somebody hasn't listened to previous lessons, that he said, you are washed. So he's washed you from your sin. You are sanctified. You've been set apart by God, called holy and set apart. Sanctification and holiness, those are synonymous terms. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, put on trial, found innocent. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. And then in this context, he goes on to say this in verse 12. All things are lawful for, for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay, and so so in, in our day in society, they say, well, you show me in the Bible where it says thus and so is a sin. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, this is the question. Are you controlling it or is it controlling you? If it is controlling you, that addiction, that drug addiction, that alcoholic addiction, that, um, uh, you know, that, that habit that you've got, if it's controlling you and you cannot stop it at will, you are brought under its power. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. What he's doing is he's quoting the Corinthians because they had a slogan that said, all things are lawful for me. He said, you know, you're saying all things are lawful for me. He said, but let me add to that, all things are not expedient. And he said, you're saying all things are lawful for me. But he said, let me add to that, I will not be brought under the power of any. Not all things are good for you, folks. Some things are going to drag you down. And let me say it in the context of this lesson, there's some people that are going to drag you down. There's some people that can destroy you. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about Saul, who was the first king of Israel. But there was a time and a season where God spoke to the prophet Samuel, because Samuel was the one that had anointed Saul. Samuel was the one that had appointed Saul to be the first king upon God's instruction. He set him on the throne. Samuel prophesied to him, poured oil on his head, everything. The people knew Samuel had had 
told them that God selected Saul. Now, look, Samuel loved Saul, but when, but when God rejected Saul, it probably felt, at least for a time, that Samuel had missed it. Because God told Samuel, I've rejected him from being king. And Samuel, but God, you told me to anoint him. Just, just put yourself in his shoes. God, you're the one that told me to anoint him. I'm talking to somebody here today that maybe you've been reaching out to somebody and you felt compelled of the Lord to reach out to that soul. But you know in your heart, as I've been teaching here today, they're dragging you down in their pit. And you, you're saying to yourself, I know I need to let go of them, but hang on, God's the one that told me to reach for them. God did tell you to reach for them. I'm not telling you he didn't. God told Samuel to anoint Saul. And God gave Saul an opportunity. But when Saul rejected God, God rejected Saul. And he told Samuel, look. Because Samuel kept weeping and weeping. And God said, Samuel, get up. Wipe your tears. Stop weeping over Saul. I have rejected him. You get up and you go anoint another to take his place. And that another was David. And Jesus came through the line of David. I'm going to tell somebody here today. You may have to cut somebody off. You may have to wipe your hands of somebody. Now, it may be you take your hands off, and when you take your hands off, God will send a famine to their soul. And they may come back at some point. And, but uh, let me just say this. Are they coming closer to you? Are you going closer to them? Let me explain what I mean. Since you started reaching for them, I want you to ask yourself the question. Examine your life very carefully. Is there more light in your soul? Uh, or is there more darkness in your soul since you started reaching for them? Is there more light in their soul since you started reaching for them? If there is no more light in their soul now than when you first started reaching for them and you've been reaching for them for a long time, and if there's more darkness in your soul since you started reaching for them, and you know are you feeling tempted to do things you haven't felt tempted to do for a long time? Have you found that, uh, you know, there, there's things you're thinking about doing that you haven't thought about doing for a long time? You need to ask yourself the question, is it time to let go? And if it is, you back up and you start praying, God, you deal with them. You deal with them. And look, go and don't stop reaching out for the lost. Don't get frustrated by somebody that walks away. Maybe somebody has wiped their hands of you and, and uh, or you just recently had to cut somebody off and you know what I'm talking about here today. Well, let me just say this. Don't give up. Uh, get up and go anoint a David. Find somebody else that really is hungry. Hopefully I can bring a balance to this. Um, and there's, there's many, many other things. But I, for the sake of time, I'm going to close this lesson down. Maybe we'll deal with some of this uh, in a future lesson. But I'm not telling you today to stop working on somebody. If you're teaching Bible studies, uh, you're going to have to answer the question yourself if they have an unreasonable spirit. But let me flip this around and say there may be somebody listening to this, and you've listened to this podcast for a long time, because I know we have some regular listeners, and you have not yet responded. Ask yourself, ask yourself the question here today. Do you have an unreasonable spirit? Have you put unreasonable expectations on the gospel? God, you prove yourself to me by doing thus and so and thus and so and thus and so. You've got the wrong approach, friend. The Bible begins with the words, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The heavens and the earth. 
or excuse me, the heaven and the earth. And uh, it says, in the beginning, God created it. God didn't seek to prove himself. You can either believe it or not believe it. God, you say, I want God to prove himself to me. You know, God in his mercy, he might do one or two things to prove himself to you. But if you're looking for God to come down, uh, you know, in, in some type of uh, thunderstorm, like he did in the days of Job, and show himself to you in a, in a visible appearance and speak to you in an audible voice, and that's probably not going to happen, friend. You put unrealistic expectations. The Bible says, for without faith, Hebrews 11 and 6, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe in God. And you've got to believe he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so if you are if you come at this from the perspective of, I don't believe in him, but, you know, uh, God, if I'm going to believe in you, you're going to have to prove yourself to me. You've got the wrong attitude. He doesn't have to prove himself to you. He's God and you're nothing. You're dirt in his eyes. You're nothing. To, you are absolutely nothing. But, you know, God loves you and he, he may show you some things in your life, but he's not going to force you to believe in him. So ask yourself the question, are, do you have an unreasonable spirit? So that's the two people that I've taught this Bible study to today, those reaching and to those being reached for. So you've got some choices to make. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the Holy Ghost that I felt in this lesson today. God, I pray that anybody under the sound of my voice that may be reaching out to a lost relative, a lost friend, a lost uh, person, Lord, that they've been trying to reach for, uh, that has an unreasonable spirit, let them ask themselves some very important questions. But help us to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. God, I don't want this lesson to, to cause somebody to stop reaching for somebody that still has some hunger in their heart. But God, give them wisdom. I'm asking, Lord, coupled with this lesson, that wisdom would come with it. And that you would help people to pray about it before they let go. But God, if you deal with them to let go, I pray, Jesus, that you would send a famine to that person they've been reaching for. And you deal with them. We don't want to get in the way of your judgment, God. We don't ever want to step in the way of God's judgment, lest we also be brought down with them. And on the flip side, God, there may be somebody listening that is seeking for you to, to prove yourself to them. And they've had a wrong perspective. They've got an unreasonable spirit. God, do something to them to shake them and wake them up, even if it takes a famine. God, I pray in Jesus' name, these last hours, we've got to reach the lost. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Guide our steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless.